Welcome to the King's Anywhere podcast, inspirational teaching, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, whenever you're ready. There are some subjects that are always important to us as people. Things like sex, love, work, death, the end of the world. In 1 Thessalonians 4, the Apostle Paul is about to speak about these things. And he's going to make the point that the whole of human life matters to God. Spirit, soul and body. All of those are impacted by our life as disciples of Jesus. What we do with our body. How the soul engages with God. That's our intellect, our will, our emotions. And the spirit, that part deep within us that connects to God in a fundamental way that all of that life flows out from all matter to God. Some people teach, well, it's only the spirit that counts and everything else is secondary to that or doesn't matter or is even evil. But that's not how the Bible presents humanity. It says that God cares about all of our life. It's all spiritual. Our connection with him that flows into how we think, how we feel, how we reason, our choices, that then flows into what we do with our body. And so in 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 1 to 12, Paul begins to dig into this subject. He says these words, As for the matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you're now living. Now we urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more, for you know the instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. It's God's will that you should be sanctified and that you should avoid sexual immorality. That each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that's holy and honourable, not in passionate lusts like the pagans who don't know God. And in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of his brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins. As we told you and warned you before, For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. Now, about your love for one another, we don't need to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, do this more and more. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work hard with your hands, just as we told you, so that in your daily life you may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent upon anybody. In verse 2, Paul uses a very strong word. The New American uh, Standard Bible translates it like this. For you know what commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. Paul's pointing out to them that what he's saying to them about sex, about love, about work, about death, etc. He's saying in the name of the Lord Jesus. In other words, as if the Lord Jesus was saying it to them and to us. And he refers to these things as commands, not suggestions, not hints for life, but commands. He reminds us that how we live as followers of Jesus is not simply to please ourselves or to fulfil our own agenda or even to please people. 
and fit in with the culture and social norms around us. He reminds them in verse 1 and reminds us that we get to live in order to please God. And what we see in the gospel is this, that God is a God who loves us. He's a loving father who took the initiative to help us to come into a relationship with him. He deals with his, his love helps him to deal with our issue of sin. He pays the price on the cross, rises again from the grave and gives us a choice to follow him, to be forgiven to enter into his family and so when we do he gives us a new identity we are in Christ Jesus we are his disciples his children members of his family ambassadors for Christ and then because of God's love and because of who he made us we get to obey him religion says obey you might become a good person and perhaps God will be pleased but the gospel Christianity says God loves us he gives us our identity and therefore we get to obey him now, as we look at these subjects that we're going to look at today in the podcast, I want to just set a context. Paul's writing to the church in Thessalonica, which he'd planted um, with, along with Silas and Timothy, and he's writing to them from the city of Corinth, where he planted another church. The city of Corinth was dedicated to Aphrodite, a Greek goddess of sex. It was a centre of immorality and promiscuity. And in this letter also, Paul references his stay in Athens, a city of really mixed morals at the time. And he's writing to Thessalonica, to the church there, a city associated with the worship of um, a deity, a false deity called Cabria, who, whose worship and rites, scholars tell us, involved gross immorality. Paul lived in a world where sex was a key part of a culture and promiscuity was the order of the day. And he's about to tell the Thessalonians and us that God has some things to say about this subject. You see, God created sex and he gave it to humanity for our pleasure and for procreation. Sex is not Hollywood's idea. It's not the porn industry's idea. It's God's idea. He's the inventor and creator of sex and he has a lot to say on the subject. He wants us to know some of the parameters and permissions that he has for us. And so in verses 3 to 7, Paul begins to say some of these. He says that we get to live differently. We don't view sex outside of marriage as just something that's okay. Uh, we get guidelines that are different in this passage. It talks about the context that sex is best enjoyed, that is made for, is within a covenant, strong, healthy relationship of marriage it's where do we get that view of sex that shapes our thinking is it the soaps is it the latest netflix box set is it hollywood is it social media or is it the bible the bible says we get to enjoy sex in the context of a loving marriage relationship because it's within that covenant relationship that the level of self-giving that sex involves is protected. As followers of Jesus, this passage tells us we get to control our body. We're to avoid sexual immorality. How do we do that in a world that's full of what seems to be sensual images that bombard us every day? 
Jesus said in Mark 9:47, if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. Now I'm sure he's not literally telling us to pluck our eye out, but rather he's saying it's better to live as if we don't have an eye than to allow that eye to lead us into sin. I guess you could say, if there's something that you're looking at that's leading you down the wrong path, act as if you can't see it. Avoid seeing it. So if your iPad or your phone or your TV causes you to sin because you're looking at things that are not good for you, then live as if you don't have an iPad, a TV, the internet. You say, oh, that sounds quite radical. Well, Jesus is saying sometimes we've got to cut some things out of our experience for a while to help us get things into balance so that we could deal with them more healthily. If we want to live a pure life, then it will involve some choices. Do we need to live for a while as if you don't have a laptop or a TV in order to get past some unhelpful habits? Paul says the context for sex is this, that we should love each other within marriage and that we should not take advantage of each other. Husbands and wives, God wants us to love one another and to enjoy a sex life together. It's a gift from him. So talk about it to each other. Explore your thoughts on that. What do you like? What do you not like? Don't be demanding. Don't make the person feel under pressure. Don't sulk. But love each other. Consider the needs of one another. And work out together within your marriage how you're going to enjoy a sex life together. If we're single, then the Bible tells us to wait to be sexually active until we're married. Because it's within the context of a loving marriage relationship that we can develop the vulnerability and the security that sets the healthy parameters for such a union. God's not trying to spoil our fun. He simply knows the level of connection that sex brings about when two people really make love to one another and he reserves that depth of relationship for marriage. That's what this chapter is saying to us. The chapter goes on to point out that as followers of Jesus, we get to take our responsibilities to love people and to work very seriously. We're not to be idle as followers of Jesus, but we get to live in a way that impacts the whole of our humanity. Paul goes on in verses 9 to 10 to say, Now about your love for one another, we don't need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, do so more and more. The Thessalonians loved one another. And yet Paul urges them to do so more and more. His prayer for them in this chapter is reflected in 1 Thessalonians 3.12, where he says, May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. This reminds us of what he wrote to the Philippian church, another church that was planted in Macedonia, remember, just before Thessalonica. Uh, he and the team uh, had planted that church, and Paul writes to them in, one, in, sorry, in Philippians 1.9 where he says, And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Paul prays that they'll continue to grow in love for one another. And he also instructs them to do this. He prays for them to do it and he tells them to do it. This reminds us that to love one another requires God's activity and it requires our activity too. 
Romans 5 5 says God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us so the picture is this God generously fills us with his spirit and he pours his love into our hearts but then we get the responsibility to respond to that love with our actions by loving God and loving others and we are not passive in this process we're not simply on autopilot um, and passively being carried along we choose to love one another as a result of God's love being poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit so we get to and choose to speak well of people serve people help people encourage people show hospitality to people not because we always feel like it but because all because it's always easy to do but because we know that we can because of the strength that God gives to us so the one another's of the Bible are very practical things. They're not just suggestions that we get to consider whether we'll do or we won't do, but they are instructions on how to live in the power of the Spirit because the love of God is in us. So caring for one another is not just the job of one or two leaders within a church. The one another's of Scripture are for all of us. So the care for one another, the encouraging one another, the spurring one another on, all of these things, this loving of one another is part of the privilege and responsibility of every follower of Jesus. Loving one another is a very practical thing. For example, it involves how we use our homes. Romans 12.13 tells us as followers of Jesus to practice hospitality. This is a way of showing that we love people. The Greek word for hospitality is philozenox, and it's a word made up of two words, philo, which means to love a friend, and xenox, the word, is the word for a stranger. So it's this love of a friend with a stranger that's embedded in the word of hospitality. In other words, it's showing the love of a friend to those who are strangers and so to create a sense of family. You see, it's he easy to show hospitality to those that we know well, to family members and close friends. And Paul is saying, yeah, don't neglect that, but go beyond that. Show hospitality to those who are not close relatives or friends at the moment, who feel like strangers, and invite them into that sense of being a family so that they no longer feel like outsiders, but feel like they belong. In these next few weeks, who could you show hospitality to and help them to move from feeling like a stranger to being a valued member of the family on mission here that's King's Church? Here's another example. In John 3.16, so well-known verse, the Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes on him should not perish but have eternal life. And then Matthew 20.28 20, says, the Son of Man, that's Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Because of the love of God the Father, he sent God the Son, who willingly came in the power of God the Holy Spirit to save us. This involved Jesus, the Son of Man, God the Son, serving. Love involves serving. Whole life discipleship. So when we're struggling uh, to, to wonder what does that mean think of things like this how do I use my home how do I use my words how do I encourage people serving is part of this 
I remember being on sabbatical, Jackie and I, in uh, the States talking to some great guys who were church planters out in California with some Soma churches. And they were talking about, you know, if you struggle to get volunteers to help on setup or with kids work, it's not a kids work issue. It's not a setup issue. It's a discipleship issue. You see, you don't need a special gift to set out church. You don't need a special gift to be able to help carry things. You don't need a special gift to serve and be a part of a team with some people who do have great gifts working with children. It's part of being willing to serve. In fact, Jesus says that we are to to be like little children, that we're to care for children. And so working with them is a privilege and we get to be a part of it. Obviously at King's when people do work with children and young people, we obviously do go through all the necessary safeguarding checks, etc. But if you're a parent listening to this and you're part of King's, part of the joy of being a parent is bringing your child up in God's ways in your home and also as a part of King's Kids or the other uh, activities that go on in King's that involve people across the ages. We get to serve. And when we struggle to serve in those areas, or any area really, it's not a volunteering issue. It's a serving issue. And when it's a serving issue, it's a love issue. So, for example, I know that at our celebrations, we have some people who come down at some, get there for eight o'clock to get the van, to set, load the van, to unload the van, to set up and do it on a regular basis. And maybe you don't know who they are or see their faces, but they show their love for us as a church by serving regularly and it's my belief that there are many more people who could play a part in that and so we all get to serve one another we don't serve to earn God's favour it's the fruit of having God's favour it's an overflow serving others by serving by opening our homes and Paul you see is praying that the Thessalonians will do this and then he's urging them to do it I guess the same can be said of us and then he goes on in verses 11 and 12 where he says and make it your ambition to lead a quiet life you should mind your own business and work with your own hands just as we told you so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent upon anyone. I love these verses. They are amazing passages of scripture where God tells us he's interested in how we live the whole of our life, how we approach work and rest and the spectacular, but also the ordinary. He's involved in everything. When the global pandemic began to kick in in early 2020, I realised that I probably needed to overcome my resistance to Facebook and join it as a way of keeping in touch and and communicating with people and I joined Facebook early in 2020 and I immediately got a message from my daughter asking was the world ending as she'd noticed I was just joining Facebook. Uh, Here's a few things I've noticed in my foray into social media over this last year or so. It has some great advantages And it has some real disadvantages. For example, I've seen that people will say things on social media that they would never dream of saying to someone's face. I've I've noticed that there are some good things on social media as it helps us to keep connected to a degree. 
Here's another thing I've noticed. A like on Facebook from a Facebook friend is not nearly as good as a coffee with a friend in real life. People on Facebook and on all social media tend to post the highlights, the highlight reel of their life or their struggles, but not always the everyday ordinary of life. And I, I can understand that. But Paul's saying here, we're not just, God's not just interested in the highlight reel of our life and the valleys. Of course he's interested in that. But he's also interested in the ordinary run of everyday life. We get to see our job as an act of worship and a place of discipleship. So how you view your workplace, how I view my workplace. Yeah, talking to people about Jesus at work. But also things like this, working hard doing a good job, being on time, being honest, being reliable, speaking well of other people, avoiding workplace gossip, serving, making a brew for other people, keeping your word, are all part of living as a disciple of Jesus. You see, we are disciples who make disciples. Some of that is going out into the far-flung areas of the world or our area and telling people we have never met before about Jesus and helping them to become disciples and live for him. And it's living as a disciple in our home, in our workplace, in our job, in our shopping, in our leisure, with those we do know and helping them to grow as disciples of Jesus or become disciples. It's the whole of life. Disciples making disciples is the way we live as followers of Jesus, where we get to live. So when we commit our lives to Jesus, it wasn't just the bits of our life that we think might be spiritual that is interested in, like which meetings do we attend? Do I read the Bible? Do I pray? What's my worship life like, singing worship? Of course God's interested in those things, but he's also interested in what's my thought life like? What's my work life like? What's my family life like? What's my sex life like? What's my social life like? All of life is spiritual. And because the Holy Spirit is with us always, is in all of it. So how you are as a homemaker or a nurse or a teacher or a factory worker or a sales assistant or a doctor or a fitness course or coach or a student or whatever you do is an aspect of living as a disciple of Jesus who makes disciples. You see, idols, God hates idols because they break up our life. They set different value systems for different bits of our life and they're false. They compartmentalise life and so we are one person in one setting and a different one in another. We live like we're a, a follower of Jesus when we're in a church building but we don't when we're in our workplace or we treat people a certain way in a church meeting and a different way around our dinner table. But what Jesus does is he breaks down those barriers and he said he's, he is Lord of the whole of life. He's Lord of our work life and our worship life, of our Bible reading life and our family life, of our sex life and of how we fast. He's the Lord of all. He's in the complex and he's in the simple. Jesus is Lord and when he's Lord, he's Lord of all. And that rule frees us to take on the identity that he tells us we have so we're free to be who we are in each setting. Then Paul in verse 11 uses an unusual verb. He says, make it your ambition or aspire to. And this verb speaks of a practice that the Greek or Roman rich and elite had uh, in lieu of being taxed. They would be expected to make generous donations to their cities for public work, for entertainment, for food distribution. 
And in many cases, this became a contest amongst the most wealthy to see who could outgive their peers. And the thinking was, the greater the generosity, therefore the greater power you would be seen to have, or the greater wealth, or the greater magnanimity. And Paul picks up on this word, this competitive thing that they were having to, to, to aspire to be known this way, uh, those, those super rich people. Paul takes that word and he, he drops it into this context and he says, now, I want you to make it your ambition. I want it to make it your ambition, not to live a life that's self-glorifying, not to live a life that's promoting yourself, but to live a quiet life that will bring glory to God amongst those who do not know him. Have a quiet life or live a quiet life or live peaceably as one translation puts it. It's, it's like the idea he brings out in 1 Timothy 2.2 2, where he urges Timothy and those in Ephesus uh, where Timothy was at the time to pray for people in authority. Not that you have to agree with all of the policies of the people of, in authority or the decisions, but we do get to pray for them. And in t- uh, 1 Timothy 2.2-4 2 he says, make it your ambition that we live a peaceful and quiet lives in godliness and holiness This is good and pleases God our Saviour who wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Living for Jesus in the long term of everyday life is powerful in its eternal impact. When our words and our deeds match up, when we don't hide our faith in Jesus but we're open about it, when we care about people and treat them well, when we keep our word, when we rest well and work hard, when we serve and when we include people, when we practice hospitality and when we share our food with others, when we love our husband and wife, when we invest in our children, when we serve without making excuses, it all adds up to a life lived well, the life of disciple making disciple. Long obedience in the same direction because of God's love in our hearts. This becomes a shining light to those around us when our words and our deeds point to Jesus. This quiet life is not a passive life. It's a life lived at peace with God and with yourself that speaks loudly of the gospel in word and deed to those around us. It's the whole of life. And throughout the Bible, this picture of discipleship, of following God, impacting the whole of life is there. So listen to these words from the Old Testament. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them upon your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up, Deuteronomy 6, 4-7. So when, when we're eating, when we're walking, when we're going in, when we're coming out, God's in it all. The best place to live for Jesus is where you are now. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, a great preacher from a bygone age said this there's no ideal place to serve God except the place where he sets you down the the passage in in 1 Thessalonians 4 goes on to say you should mind your own business in verse 11 how how does that instruction match up with Philippians 2 4 for example where, where Paul writes to the Philippians not looking to your own interests but each of you should look to the interests of others well the distinction is this it's it's a warning against meddling in people's business but being open to give genuine care and concern for people to help them to become all that they could be. The key of the issue is the heart of the issue. Is it, are we involved to love people 
or to be a noisy gossip and just get involved in poking our nose in where it's not needed. Sharing life together is about walking together to learn from one another, to live as disciples who make disciples. The chapter goes on to talk about some other big subjects which we will look at next week. Paul goes on to talk about the death and resurrection, about the end of the world and about eternity. He deals with these big issues alongside how we live as followers of Jesus in the here and now. Our view of sex, our view of love, our view of work, our view of daily life are all intertwined in being a disciple of Jesus. God is in the big picture and is in the detail, is in the vastness of the universe and in the subatomic particles. He sees the big plan for our lives and is interested in how we're getting on at work at the moment or at school or at university. He is the God of all. He is Lord of all. And we get to live as everyday disciples of Jesus our Lord every day of our lives. We hope you enjoyed this message. To find out more about King's Church Warrington, visit our website or find us on Facebook and Instagram.